Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, the founder of The Naked Voice. And I am here to welcome you to our online community, which is an opportunity for us to evolve and to inquire, to deepen and inspire our understanding of the nature of compassion and compassionate action and its transformative impact in the world. I'm particularly interested in exploring this theme with the lives and hearts and minds and teachings of poets, artists, writers, musicians and philosophers, teachers and social entrepreneurs and activists. I am just so thrilled to be able to be talking today with my very dear friend, Polly Steele. Polly is an award-winning UK-based independent filmmaker, renowned for her ability to tell the most compelling and sensitive stories. She's made films for all of the UK's major broadcasters and produced developed fiction as MD for Rocket Pictures with Elton John and David Furnish, and for her own company, Intrust Films. She's currently writing a drama series. She's also shooting a documentary feature, The Cost of Freedom, with Mac Maharaj, Mandela's only living cellmate, and developing her next feature film. The screen adaptation of Four Letters of Love by Niall Williams. Niall has adapted the book with Polly's directing. Mark Rylance, Gabrielle Byrne, Emily Watson, and Michael Gambon are attached as the leads. Polly wrote and directed Let Me Go, starring Juliet Stevenson and Lucy Boynton. It was selected to premiere at the Edinburgh Festival in 2017. It has won several awards and is now to be distributed worldwide. Documentary directing work has also included BAFTA award-winning films. So, dear Polly, how absolutely wonderful to be in this conversation with you, which I know is central in your work and your life. So perhaps we could start by just asking you, what is compassion and how is it playing out in your life at the moment? Hi, Chloe. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Compassion. Wow. I think for me, it's about living and working from a heart space. And that means that it involves a process of deep listening, um, which I suppose is attempting to lives one, live one's life from a, possibly from a slower place than I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And in that slowness... I listen and attempt to listen to what's in my heart, what my heart is attracted to. Um, I try and listen to what's happening out there in the world and then choose the work that I do and the way that I live my life personally from that place. Mm. 
that's absolutely fantastic isn't it i mean and it's such a we're we're both incredibly blessed aren't we that we can just really live out our passion and for me it's like a vocation i don't know how you'd describe what brought you into film and what was it that really catalyzed your direction through and with film uh in the first place yeah i mean chloe do you know it's funny i've thought a lot about that and I mean I think it's a whole series of events I grew up all over the world my father worked for the United Nations so I was constantly being fed a diet of observing other cultures and other people and being placed in a new environment where I didn't necessarily belong and so from a very young age I think I became an observer and I also had a huge love for beautiful things which I think also probably came from my dad. And I, and I think in my early teens I remember almost one particular moment when I acknowledged that the sort of passion and emotion that came through imagery and music so let's really bring it down to light and sound and what that did to one's kind of heart how it moved one when you know when something really amazing came together light and sound came together and moved me mm. i realized that that was something that i wanted to work with i think that's kind of how it developed oh my goodness i love that well we certainly are connected in that realm as well and there's much to share about that how is that now i'm you know i'm aware that you've just come back from South Africa yeah uh, where you have been working on this new project uh, with this extraordinary human being just cannot wait to hear more about that and because that really is absolutely striking in its the compelling way in which you are it just absolutely fascinates me the way that you are drawn into the absolute epicenter of essential stories for our time <laughs> that you know and it's sort of how you find yourself in these situations must be to do with the way that your sensitivity towards light and sound just directs you and leads you but my goodness what a story you have here it'd be great just to hear you speak about that in the yeah, sure. it's true chloe that i don't tend to go out and find stories mm. but I am aware that I en- try to engage with people on a deeper level and mm. I um, was involved in a series of Skypes with Mac Maharaj on a different project that had a sort of different title and a different group of people involved and it mm. it didn't really take you know flight Mm. but we on those skype calls had something going there was sort of a live energy between us and Mm. he is a very curious person and always open and also I think if I look back on it moves from a very heart-filled space Mm. and wanted to have conversations with me that um, were not directed they didn't have you know a distinct outcome we would just chat and we both enjoyed the conversations and we both realized that we were quite good at doing this deep listening with each other Mm. we so we connected at 
I think, a deeper level. And what came out of that connection was a more personal story from him about his family and about the the, the cost on his family of him being a freedom fighter. Mm. And, you know, Mac spent 12 years in Robben Island with Mandela. He then was the man responsible for bringing Long Walk to Freedom out of the prison. Um, He then ran the underground operations. He was constantly in danger. He was constantly underground. And his family were having to deal with all of that basically Mm. and it was a huge price that they paid Mm. the mental health story involved in in it with one of his children and Mm. the other members of his family were were deeply traumatized and so Mm. we began talking about what happens to a whole country when they undergo um, such an aggressive period of time so full of violence and Mm. really this can be applied to any country that undergoes conflict or any of us, you know, that have to go through deep trauma. And a lot of my work seems to gravitate around trauma and Mm. the outcome of trauma and how it doesn't just disappear within a few years, but it often hangs around for several generations. So that's where all that came from. And we agreed that we would start trying to work together without defining exactly how the film would come out, but that Mm. we would allow the space for these conversations to just develop and that's where we went and now we're trying to raise the rest of the money I've sort of done half the filming but we're trying to raise the rest of the money for what will be um, a documentary but that has a real element I guess of my fictional um, work sort of you know implemented into it we might use animation obviously music's very important but we're trying to tell a very personal story of trauma but within the historical setting of obviously a story that people know quite well which is you know the the fight against apartheid right yeah oh my god that's absolutely incredible and and you were just mentioning the other day um you know more about his immense courage and willingness to really bring out the the inner story the personal story and to have that interface um with the collective story because this of course has it as we know is 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 quite a common issue that when one has a very strong calling towards generating compassion in the world at all kinds of levels that that is inevitably going to have its cost um, because of the pressures that will come to bear for the family and family members. We see this with Mahatma Gandhi and uh, Martin Luther King and, you know, just about anybody one can imagine. It's just inevitable, isn't it, that that is going to be there. But for this man to be willing to really allow that to come out and for that to be uh, integral to the story, I think is is really addressing the deeper issues of uh, conflict resolution in our society and why great movements, great nonviolent movements rise up and and fall and rise and fall. But very often there is that falling. And the question now is, perhaps for us as a humanity, is to look at if we can actually access more deeply what the issues are that are not being addressed in our plight for a more conscious, compassionate world. 
there's some hope that there can be more of a coherence and an integration uh, at all levels of life, you know, from the personal through yes. into the collective. Yes, and I, I'd love to respond to that because yes. we actually talked about that quite a lot. Mac has stated that the reason he wants to make that film, make this film, sorry, is for that very reason and that he feels that the time has come now where right. the two have to come together, um, that it is it is no longer okay to just go with a cause, that mm. we have to personally be authentic in the way we carry that out in the world mm. and that mm world is asking that of our leaders that they be authentic and that they they that there is a coming together not only of the sort of the bigger picture as you were talking about but also of the personal mm-hmm. and so i think mac feels blessed to still be alive in mm-hmm. a time when these issues are now coming up and, mm-hmm. and that he can speak out um about them now and try and be very brave really um, and acknowledge that this was happening within his own family and that in the future we need to look for authentic leadership which means the coming together of those two things. Right, right, absolutely, oh my god yes absolutely and it's so interesting that as you say a lot of your work is touching on this theme of the uprising, the um, addressing ancestral trauma, family trauma, because that obviously showed up in your um, more recent uh, screenplay, the adapted screenplay of Helga Schneider's True Life Story, Let Me Go. I'd love you just to uh, speak to that as well, because my goodness... Uh, That's that's also looking at the the issues that the feminine, the female, uh, has to undergo in this resolution of conflict from within and the generation of of compassion outside oneself. Yeah, so I guess there are two things there, but um, Let Me Go was a story that I picked up many, many years ago, and and in in some ways it paralleled something in me, and I think that's another theme um, for sort of compassionate storytelling is Mm -hmm. that we are never innocent in what stories we choose to tell. Mm -hmm. There is always something in us that, Mm -hmm. Um, subconsciously picks up stories and normally I believe you know if we really are sort of tuned into who we are as human beings there's a lesson for us to learn you know often we pick something up because it it mirrors something in us and I definitely had something I wanted to, to explore but I really wasn't conscious of that and I think I didn't realize that that within my own family there was very much a sort of story of inherited trauma from the war. And so this story, which was a, a story of four generations of women, definitely touched on that. And as I was making this film, I started doing a lot of research into inherited trauma. And obviously now there's a whole kind of scientific field that is growing up around this, which is called mm-hmm. epigenetics. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of work being done to show that extreme trauma not only exists within the physiological body of the person who experiences it, but that it can be passed on down the generations. Mm-hmm. So it really is a huge issue, you know, if we create conflict and trauma, it is not just us that are 
going to be dealing with the outcome, but we can pass it on to our children. So we owe it to the next generation Mm. to try and understand this issue more. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's that, you know, it's it's, it's the awareness, isn't it, of the, you know, how important it is to, to share this with our children, to talk about it, to find oneself, of course, now the whole practice of family constellation therapy and so on is a very significant part of this teaching people how to navigate the, the, the trauma that may be completely unconscious in the first case. But and then as it uprises, you know, how to actually navigate it and work with it uh, to release it, to resolve it, to engage it, to embody it, to forgive it. Tell me more about the, the film with of Helga Schneider. Yeah. So I guess the, the other point that you made was that it was the female story. And yes. That is relevant because I, although everybody is traumatised by conflict, mm. um, the, the women's stories are told far less. Mm. You know? and, mm. and I think women during conflict are often the ones that have to suck it all up you know Mm -hmm. they're not out there on the front so I'm not saying it's any better or any worse but I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that they do a lot of um, resilient surviving and and they have to hold all of that and Mm -hmm. often they don't get a chance for those stories to be told Mm -hmm. so I felt very strongly that I wanted to tell um, the sort of female side of conflict and actually that's coming out I guess again in this story that I'm telling about the women in Paris Mm -hmm. during um, during the occupation of Paris in the second world war Mm. they're not always the obvious heroic stories and therefore they don't necessarily fit in that nice box of you know, what we call the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that us as women would like to see more of those stories and hear more of those stories and understand the sort of female psyche and how it it also has survived during these huge periods of confrontation. And we, you know, we are not immune and we mm-hmm. have also been there during that. So that's another part of my work. I do feel very powerfully that it's time now for more women's stories to come out. But the actual story of Let Me Go was um, a young girl, uh, this is a true story, Helga Schneider, who was five years old when her mother left her in Berlin during uh, the Second World War. And her mother went off to become an SS guard. Um, and Helga didn't know this. And so Helga grew up without a mother or a father, because her father was at war. Um, She had a very, very difficult childhood and then a very difficult life. And it was only in her 60s that she received a letter from her mother's best friend saying that her mother was ill in an old people's home and didn't have long to live. And if she wanted to see her, she needed to come soon and see her. And so Helga wrote a book about that visit, and it was um, that book that I adapted And I added two more generations um, to that story because of my interest in this whole field of inherited trauma. And Helga was fine for me to do that, mainly because she didn't really want to talk any more about her own family because she wanted to protect them. She felt that they had gone through enough in their own lives. Um, And therefore, she's also an artist. So she was very open about me, um, you know, adding the two next generations. And in fact, 
by the time the script was finished, she said to me that she felt it ironically was very uh, close to her own story, even though we hadn't really uh, swapped too many notes on that part of the story. So again, there was a sort of resonance without me even realising it. Oh God, it's amazing how you have this extraordinary capacity. I mean, I've seen it just, just walking around with you, um, how that plays itself out by the quality of your listening in your capacity to really uh, allow others and enable others, you know, who really are on the front line of immensely challenging situations very often to, to, to speak their truth. I'm thinking also of the, the BBC movie you made uh, on the Russian millionaires in uh, London and that extraordinary moment with the character who was running the wine store in uh, Mayfair would you like to say a little bit more about that? Because that was incredibly moving, just watching his vocalising of his story and his suddenly realising he was really expressing the naked truth of his life, uh, almost caught unawares, but it was just so gently and sensitively um, portrayed. Well, thank you. I mean, I, it's funny that that film, which was about um, wealthy Russians living in London, mm. was a very difficult film to make. Mm, I can imagine. Mm. They are not, they're, they're not used to wearing their hearts on their sleeves, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. and not surprisingly, because culturally, I think, you know, they've gone through a lot um, mm. in that country and they tend to be rather guarded until you get to know them well. So I actually found it quite tricky um, getting through to them to you know to a place where I really felt we were connecting mm-hmm. um, but sometimes you don't need words you know um, mm. sometimes it's more about just being in a space with somebody and sharing that space in a way that makes them feel that they are being seen in some capacity and yes. so I think I did a portrait with him I, I sat him down and filmed him just being um, which is something else I've done in the past. I've done lots of silent portraits with people. Mm. And I think that was probably the moment when he realised that I wasn't trying to extricate a particular story out of him. And that's mm. something I felt very strongly about as I've worked in the media. I started out quite naive, I suppose, and then I realised very quickly that I didn't really believe in trying to create um, an outcome before I really had met and spoken with people. And yet many commissioners sort of demanded that they know exactly what a film was going to be about and what was going to be said. And that really didn't sit very comfortably with me Mm -hmm. um, because I believe it is a process in itself making a film. And I really didn't understand how you could predetermine what was going to happen so Mm. I actually left filming for a long time and went off and trained as you know a life coach in the middle of all of this because I Mm. I didn't want to be put in a position where I was constantly having to put words into people's mouths and as a sort Mm. of rebellion to that I started filming these silent portraits with people Mm -hmm. because I felt they were more honest than Mm -hmm. a lot of the documentary factual output that was being made at the time Mm -hmm. Um, and words are very clever aren't they you know they can cover up the truth very easily oh my god and how absolutely yes I mean the whole 
uh, there's a whole conversation there around what part silence plays, you know, what quality, very often in my work, for example, when a person is just really coming to experience their voice for the first time and really hear it beneath all the sort of uh, the barriers and obstructions of the personality voice, that always to invite people to just listen to the quality of silence that the voice leaves behind. And that immediately, in that one has to lend one's attention to that, takes away from the usual kind of more expected sort of self-consciousness, you know, that goes on around, oh, God, I'm about to speak, I don't like my voice, you know, all that kind of babble that goes on. So silence, and and I, I just, where can people see those extraordinary portraits of silence that you made because they blew my mind, particularly the one of Anthony Wedgwood Ben. I was just extraordinary just being with him and and actually finding yourself in an enabling a situation to happen where you're with him as he's smoking his pipe for five minutes. Um, I I do love those portraits, Chloe, and I, I haven't really exhibited them Mm. Um, a lot of them I've just you know loaded up onto YouTube so they can be seen on my YouTube channel and a few Mm. of them on my website but if if I'm honest I love them they were a privilege Mm. to make sitting Mm. with someone in silence as you know is a very blessed place to be Mm. Um, you're conscious of of your own um, part that you play in that Mm. silence Mm. and you're conscious Mm. of your own breathing um, Mm. and how that you have to tune into the person who's having the portrait done of them so that you in no way interrupt their, you know, their space. Mm. Um, Mm. And they're very deeply connected (laughs) little periods of time. And the Tony Benn one was one of the first ones I ever did. And I was interviewing him about other things and it happened to be very close to 11 o'clock on uh, the 11th of November. Um, And so I, I just suggested that we have a minute silence and, Ah. you know, his grandfather clock was literally right next to us. It did its 11 dongs. And then we just sat in silence together and he was very sweet because it went on a lot longer than a minute in the end. (laughs) Um, Well, that's a kind of tribute to the situation probably that he felt able to do that. Yeah. Um, and we just sat together and he, he did tell me he was thinking of his brother who had died in the war. Mm. Um, and it was mm. just a real privilege to sit with him. And it, it was that experience that encouraged me to do others. Mm. Um, and I know people find mm. them very emotional sometimes because we're so rarely seen and listened to like that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's always the veneer of needing to impress or shock or do something, you know, that's that's going to have some kind of impact. And when you take that away, that's really where that the, the true meaning of compassion can really start to enter in, can't it? Yeah. And an experience of compassion, but just simply between two human beings yeah. uh, where there's no, there's a kind of dissolving of, of, of separateness and fear and the usual emotional reactivity um, exactly in fact that I did a second lot just with women and I I called them who am I and I gave it a little bit more of a structure in that I asked the question several times over who are you mm. um, and then just sat with them some more and mm. it really 
is like unpeeling an onion. Mm. <laughs> and mm. every time you ask, who am I? Mm. You see them giving themselves the space to genuinely ask that question mm. at a deeper level. Yes. Until they got to a place where there doesn't seem to be a lot left. Right. And that, you know, can sometimes be scary or emotional or a relief or, you know, you're now getting to sort of the spiritual nature of who we are as beings. Yes. They're, they're extraordinary moments, actually, to watch mm. people just sort of entering that space. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's, it's so interesting, is it? Because it's so often a space that is called upon just in moments of ceremony or sacred situations or at funerals or initiatory moments. But to actually have that happening just in an ordinary conversation with somebody is very unusual, isn't it, still? Uh, Certainly in in the Western culture it is, not so much in indigenous cultures or in India where the, the culture is so much more integrated around its use of language and um, storytelling and song and music and devotion and you know a more heartfelt expression I think I think you find that in India and Ireland as well I would say definitely and I I think um, my experience over the years of storytelling in in our world, in our culture, yes. in that there is a, a reticence to yeah. join up all those things together. And as a result, I think we have a little bit of, of emptiness. We have, mm-hmm. we have a bit of a void that needs filling. I feel very strongly now that I only really want to work in spaces where those dots are all connected up, where right. you tell a story from the heart space Mm. And that you don't just tell it at a at one you know at one on one level you know whether it's an action story or whether it's a you know we've got into the habit of sort of linearizing our stories and yeah. wanting definitive outcomes and mm. you know, wanting a sort of known structure that makes us feel very comfortable. There are only so many stories that we tell in a way because we feel so at ease with them right. and. I think you're absolutely right that culturally we we don't join up the the sort of spiritual with the rest of who we are. Mm. And so yeah. we sort of seek something but we don't even know what it is we're seeking. Mm. No one ever kind of taught us to navigate that territory really did they? You know because it was either you know there's either church or synagogue or temple or or some kind of already existing institutional form that you had to sort of slot into. But actually, in terms of everyday life and everyday communication, you know, no one taught us about this because we're so, I suppose we're so led by the rational mind. You know, that's that's then played out in the education institutions as well. You know, that the sciences and technology and all these very left brain activities are still at the top of the pile, you know, at the expense of the, the arts and music and so on. But it is changing. There's no question that there is something is really stirring, isn't it? And we're seeing this obviously played out with, with these incredible kids that are coming forward and uh, girl children that are coming through with this modeling from, you know, Greta Thunberg and these other extraordinary young women that are standing out, you know, against uh, violence and 
delivering that and sharing that and communicating it uh, with such an all-inclusive feel, you know, which can only come from the feminine part of ourselves, whether we're men or women. And that's, it's so heartening to see that, isn't it? Uh, yes. And I really think they get it, you know, and yeah. understand the interconnectivity of all things. And yes. just one last, I mean, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about mm. Niall Williams' book, Four Letters of Love. Oh, yeah which is um, a book that I, in the process of trying to raise the money for to make a feature film, is that it it talks about our place as humans within the greater natural world. Mm. And um, yes, it talks about fate and destiny and whatever your thoughts or views are on that. At the end of the day, it's about how we are tiny cogs within this utterly beautiful um, natural cycle of seasons and of the elements and being Irish of course they're very good at naturally integrating all of that together and it is like a poem it is an amazing you know he's an extraordinary writer in that in that regard Um, and I and I think that's why I feel so passionately about getting that story out there is that it's it's a story that maybe it does reduce us in size it maybe it does step back and show the bigger picture. And I think mm. in storytelling, we have been very much in the drama because it's exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Know, but but mm. in order to sort of see the world um, in all its glory and see how it really works, I think we also have to start telling stories that place us in a less, prominent place as individuals so again it's about the sort of individual versus the collective which is where we started right Um, lovely say a bit more about that Polly well I guess we've gone through a quite a long period of time where the individual has been very prominent Mm. our lives have been about all about us haven't they (laughs) and uh, and we've been nurtured to be educated so that we can achieve Mm. things and we can uh, you know be prosperous and we can Mm. wealthy and we can Mm. look after ourselves and I Mm. think it's come at the expense of the collective Mm. Um, and I think it feels like there's a bit of a you know we're at at a turning point again where the world is I I don't know whether it's the world that's saying it because we've messed it up so badly or whether it's just almost like a natural cycle a natural rhythm Mm. but it feels like in order to solve the problems that are out there at the moment we have to be more collectively minded again and so we also need the stories to mirror that so Mm. that's what storytelling is about it's you know mirroring beautiful it's beautiful society is trying to do and how we learn so for, Mm. for me four letters of love is such a beautiful tale that basically says you know what you you have to step back you have to learn to surrender a little bit Mm. um well not just a little bit actually you just have to learn to surrender it's not all about the ego and that it is about us as as a human race now right absolutely and that whole concept of as you say the collective of the group of the field is is starting to um 
pervade everywhere, isn't it, with new science, of course, where we're being told that the human body itself is is a field of, you know, 50 trillion cells, which is made up of 150 trillion proteins that are all just dancing. And the human mind and soul is, is really the, the orchestrator of this field um, of awareness that we are, you know, which then obviously that plays itself out in the collective as well. It's an incredibly exciting time, isn't it? We're, it's as if we're on the edge of, of, of a real, without wanting to kind of get too sort of starry-eyed about it, but just this confluence of uh, spiritual and political and ecological and universal, which is all just coming together, as the languages and the new sciences and so on, uh, you know, some of the new sciences, Joe Dispenza now is talking about new science as the modern language for mysticism, huh. uh, which I think is great, you know, because it's it's just bringing everything together full circle. We cannot um, exist with the right side of the brain or the left side of the brain. The whole brain has to be full of light and sound, as you were yeah. alluding to earlier, uh, and that light and sound and frequency of the human spirit, which is what drives the humility required for compassionate human relationships. And I am just so inspired and, and so thrilled to know that, you know, that your work is really leading and, and inspiring these conversations. And thank you so much uh, yet again for our friendship and for this essential conversation in the evolution of compassion every blessing with the next steps thank you chloe it's been a pleasure as always talking with you it's never dull (laughs) (laughs) we have a lot of fun don't we (laughs) and a lot of laughter um so bless you polly absolutely lovely i really look forward to sharing this recording with with everyone and uh playing some more perhaps we, we can carry on another time Take care. Blessings to you. Thanks so much, Polly.